Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the challenges that we face in life as we get older, those of us who are a little bit older than uh, just in our school age years, is fighting against that, that tendency to become rather pessimistic and cynical about life in general, to have kind of a, a negative attitude as we look out at the world around us. The longer we live, the more we become aware of all of the problems that exist in the world, and unfortunately, the rather large number of tricksters and hucksters who are out there just trying to take advantage of any naive person that they have the opportunity to take advantage of. Sometimes, as we grow older, we might long for those more innocent days of our youth, when we tended to, in general, just have a more positive outlook on life and on the world, and not to view things in such a cynical and jaded way as we sometimes do in our older age. Really, that's one of the joys of the Christmas season, isn't it? Not that we regress into naivete or ignorance, but that in the Christmas gospel especially, God emphatically declares that not only can something be done about the evil and, and trouble in this world, but that something has already been done to bring change and hope. Though we are powerless by ourselves to change anything, God is not. On the first Christmas, we read in, in Titus, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward mankind appeared, he saved us. Now, we need not cynically and stoically accept the, the reality of evil in the world around us and just adjust our lives to it and, and, and take it as it comes. Now, instead, we can live with confident hope, since because of Christmas, we know that the world will never be the same again. As disillusioned as we might become at times with life and with the world, we still cling to the hope that we can change and improve our lot in this world. And that's what so many people are, are trying to do with Christmas and with their Christmas celebrations. We buy gifts and we decorate our homes and invite friends and relatives to parties and special dinners. We work at being more kind and generous in, in this season of the year all in an effort to create a season of harmony and of goodwill that, at least for a time, that will change not only the drabness and the dreariness of life, but even change or at least mask some of the ugliness and, and the pain of, of life and of this world. may not be much, but the effort continues to be made by so many people year after year because we think that if we don't make Christmas happen, then it won't happen, and there will never be any change in the world. And that doesn't mean that we don't expect that God, uh, we don't expect God to come to be our helper and friend, our Savior and our Lord. It's just that we think that unless, unless we first change and bring about change in ourselves and in the world around us, then maybe God won't come unless we do our part first. Kind of slipping into the way that uh, 
we tell little children to think about Santa Claus, that if they are naughty and not nice, then Santa Claus won't come and, and give them all the good presents. And in a way, we too also cling to that kind of thinking, that kind of hope that somehow we can change at least enough that God will come to us and help us to change our lot in life. Our sermon text today from Titus chapter 3 makes it clear that Christmas is not something that you or I make happen, no matter how elaborate our preparations might be, no matter how firmly we may resolve to amend our sinful lives or how many changes we try to make in our behavior. We do not make our life a more inviting home for God. Rather, as we read in Titus chapter 3, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward mankind appeared, He saved us, not by righteous works that we did ourselves, but because of His mercy. Christmas is all God's doing, not ours. He makes it happen. We can't make it happen by ourselves. And what prompts God to come to come in the form of the baby in Bethlehem is solely his kindness, love, mercy, and grace. He does not come because we have finally seen our need and asked for his, his help and, and cleaned up our hearts and lives and confessed our sins. No, he comes because he sees our helplessness, our utter powerlessness to change or, or to do anything about the terrible spiritual predicament that is causing our pain and that will ultimately bring death. In love, he comes to make the changes that are so essential if we are to be saved from eternal death and instead be given eternal life. All of our own frantic efforts to change things by our own power our valiant attempts to inject some joy into our otherwise rather monotonous lives with the, the Christmas celebrations and spirit that we try to manufacture, actually all of those things will only prevent Jesus from coming fully into our hearts and homes. If we are too busy, too distracted with all the noise and all the bustle of the, the Christmas that we try to make, then we may actually miss out on his coming. As we sang last night in the favorite Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And because it is given so silently, it's so easy for it to be ignored, even at this time of year. Been said that there are three kinds of people. There are those who make things happen, there are those who watch things happen, and then there are those who have simply no idea what is happening. When it comes to Christmas, none of us are in the first category, as we've said. None of us can make Christmas happen. We can only watch as God makes Christmas happen. We can only be spectators as we watch God set the stage and, and put everything into motion so that he himself might come to us in the baby in Bethlehem. We can only stand there wide-eyed 
as we see Jesus be born and then grow into manhood and then take our sinfulness onto himself and in our place go willingly to death on the cross, the death that we deserve because of our sins. However, in the final analysis, we must all confess that we would have no idea at all about everything that was happening at Christmas and, and throughout the Gospels in the Bible if God himself had not told us. God has declared to us that by Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, he is saving us. Jesus has come to make the change that we all know that, that is so desperately needed for our lives if, if we are to be saved but that by our own efforts, we could never possibly hope to make ourselves. He has come to change us from death to life. He has come to cleanse our hearts of, of greed and envy and hatred and lust and anger and to work to, to change to make us more loving and helpful and caring. And although we cannot understand it, we cannot understand how he accomplishes it, we can believe it. Believe and marvel, wonder and worship, and adore the great and loving God who came on that first Christmas to make the changes necessary in order to give us true hope. And in the end, that is the only appropriate response to Christmas. Though we can do nothing to make it happen, in the power of the Spirit who gives us faith, we can now worship him who has already made it happen. And thus we can experience the change that moves us from death to life through faith in Jesus as our Savior. God himself has come down to earth to work the change that will give us hope. Have you been changed? Do you have not just wishful thinking, but sure and certain hope of your eternal future. Reflecting on the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, he wrote, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And as, as he reflected on those words, the reformer Martin Luther stated that the important words in this section are to us. Luther says that our difficulty is not in believing the miracle of the Incarnation, although that is a wonder that we can't fully wrap our, our human minds around, that the eternal, almighty God became a helpless little baby. But rather, the most challenging thing for us sinful human beings is to believe that God came to me, to be born in me, to live in me, to change me, and to give me life, and hope. For that to happen requires a miracle of God. Luther says that for Jesus to be born in us requires a much bigger miracle than God's becoming flesh or being born of the Virgin Mary. Remember that you cannot cause the birth of Jesus to occur in your heart any more than you could cause the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Both are God's doing. Our text from Ch Titus chapter 3 assures us that that is exactly what God did for us in our baptism. In verses 5 through 7 we read, He saved us 
through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs in keeping with the hope of eternal life. Yes, it has happened. You weren't ready for it. There was no room in your heart for God to enter in. In fact, there was dirt and clutter in your heart. And you hadn't even had the thought of cleaning it up and straightening it out and making it ready for God to come in. But in your baptism, Jesus did come into your heart because of his love and concern for you. He knew all about your helplessness, your total inability to save yourself. And he came into your heart to do the cleaning for you. He came to make the changes in your heart and life that you could never make by yourself. He came to make you righteous. He came to change your relationship with God from that of being an an enemy totally opposed to God and his will to instead being God's dear friend. He came to free you from slavery to sin, to change you from a slave to a dear son and daughter of God. He came to make you a child and heir of your heavenly Father so that you will have eternal life through faith in Jesus. Into a world of broken hearts, of shattered dreams, of guilty consciences, of feelings, of worthlessness, God sent his Son like like a rose blooming in the midst of a garbage dump. He sent his Son because people need to be changed if they were going to have any kind of life at all. He sent his son because no matter how hard people tried to change things, they were helpless in the end to really do anything of substance. So God sent his own son to save the world simply because of his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace. He sent his son so that we wouldn't have to exist stoically in such a world, but that instead we will live with him forever in heaven. No, life is not a bed of roses. It is filled with much sorrow and suffering, pain, and ultimately death. We can do so much more for our children and for ourselves than than simply buy toys and games that will merely help us to adjust to the stark reality of, of that no matter how hard we might try to make things work, we will always fail in life. We can have so much more than just a few days in this Christmas season of manufactured generosity and goodwill in the the middle of this bleak and cold winter. Those days that so quickly fade after they are gone and the joy that fades away and eventually still leaves us shivering and alone in this cold, dark world. Christmas tells us that our world has been touched by the love of God himself. A love that could not leave us in our misery, but that came to save us and to give us true hope. Now, life in this world will never be the same again, because the message of the Christmas gospel changes people's hearts and lives and gives us true and lasting hope. You are one who has been changed by the coming of Jesus, and so am I. 
We've been changed by the power of Jesus' love. And our lives will never be the same again. With the power of that love and the hope of eternal life through Jesus our Savior, we can now be God's instruments of change in the world. And through us, our world will never be the same again. Amen.